This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 18th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Today we bring you one of the highlights of the Constitution Day discussions at the Cato Institute. Clark Neely, co-counsel in the Supreme Court case that killed the D.C. gun ban, discussed the aftermath of the case and just how disappointed he was with the dissents written there. This is a short segment of his talk. The full Constitution Day audio is available at Cato.org. The, as everybody in the room knows, I assume, the Heller case produced a 5-4 to four decision in which the majority of the Supreme Court interpreted the Second Amendment as protecting an individual right. Uh, essentially what it was, and there, there were three opinions. Justice Scalia wrote the majority opinion for five justices, uh, and then Justice Stevens uh, and Justice Breyer each wrote dissenting opinions in which all of the dissenting justices joined. In other words, all four dissenting justices joined both dissenting opinions. I would say that most of the action in the Heller decisions uh, comes down to a kind of an originalist duel between Justice Scalia and Justice Stevens. They go over the text and the history of the Second Amendment, reach opposite conclusions about its meaning, um, but it sort of takes you on a a really wonderful and I think fascinating tour uh, through history, not only the history of the drafting of the Second Amendment, but even the history that preceded that in terms of the, um, uh, the English Bill of Rights, common law, and what was essentially the intellectual underpinnings for the Second Amendment. Um, I won't go through the decisions in a tremendous amount of detail, but I will say this. There have been a lot of criticisms of, the, of Justice Scalia's decision. Some people uh, who are very fervent gun rights advocates say that he essentially threw portions of the Second Amendment under the bus. Uh, there were very strong implications in the decision, for example, that machine guns would not be constitutionally protected. He did come out and say, although it's dicta, uh, that, for example, felon in possession laws would be upheld. Dangerous and unusual weapons could be outlawed. Um, My position is that probably none of that was ever really on the table. I think it's very difficult to imagine that a court that ruled five to four that the most sweeping gun ban in American history was unconstitutional was likely or was on the verge of protecting machine guns and rocket launchers. I just don't think that was in the cards. And so I think Justice Scalia's decision is really about the best that could have been expected by people who interpret the Second Amendment as protecting an individual right. And I think he did a really, really nice job of supporting that point. He did a very thorough exegesis both of the text and the history of the Second Amendment, and I think came up with a very compelling argument for why it protects an individual right. I think that the Stevens decision is seriously inadequate in many different ways, and I'm just going to talk about uh, a couple of those right now. The first and maybe the most profound um, is that Justice Stevens never really adequately grapples with the following issue. The rights protected by the Bill of Rights were not created by the Bill of Rights. They predated the Bill of Rights. So for example, I mentioned this in the article, there's a pretty well-known thought experiment where you go back in time to 1790. So it's after the the adoption of the Constitution, but it's before the ratification of the Bill of Rights. Could it really be the case that Americans had no right of free speech, no right of free press or religion, just because those things hadn't been written down yet? And the answer is obviously no. Those were the, the rights that were specifically mentioned by uh, Thomas Jefferson. Those are the unalienable rights mentioned in the Declaration of Independence, and they predated the adoption both of the Constitution and of the Bill of Rights. And the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, was emphatically one of those. So this is a right that predated 
the adoption of the Bill of Rights. And I think it's ludicrous to suggest that the Second Amendment was intended to constrain that natural right to keep and bear arms, to limit it or to shrink it in some way. And so what you really need to come to grips with, which I think Justice Stevens never does, is what was the content of the natural right to bear arms, the one that predated the adoption of the Second Amendment with its arguably ambiguous language about the militia. And he never really does that. And I think that's the single most glaring problem with his decision and renders it unpersuasive. The other thing that I think renders Justice Stevens' decision unpersuasive is that he never tries to grapple with the significance of his interpretation of the Second Amendment. Early on in the decision, he says that it protects a right to use weapons in certain military settings. What in the world does that mean? So you get drafted into the army and they tell you to assault a machine gun nest, but they won't give you a gun. You get to go to federal court for an injunction and say, no, I would really like to have a gun for this mission. And the Second Amendment says I get one. Um, and there's been a lot written about this problem, so it's not as if it was hiding in the shadows. It's right out there in the open. And I think Justice Stevens and the other dissenting justices' failure to come to grips uh, with this basic problem that their interpretation of the Second Amendment is essentially meaningless or that it produces absurd results like that states, for example, should have a right to have F-16s and tanks to serve as a counterbalance to the, to the federal standing army. Their failure to grasp or even to address these issues uh, further uh, undermines their opinion. I I'm not going to say much about Justice Breyer's dissent. Essentially what he does is he says, I totally agree with Justice Stevens, but even if he's wrong, the Second Amendment should be subject to this balancing test that I'm just going to invent on the spot. It's a proportionality thing, and since I don't really need a gun to defend myself at home, nobody needs a gun to defend themselves at home. Uh, and that's a bit of a caricature, but not much. Read the decision and see if you disagree. Uh, again, he reaches the same result that the Solicitor General would have, or he does it overtly and says, Second Amendment, once I subject my balancing test to it, um, I think that what D.C. did here by disarming all of the people in the entire District of Columbia was reasonable, and I would let that stand. I'll close by saying this. No matter how you feel about the Second Amendment, it doesn't matter whether you like the right to keep and bear arms. There's probably some constitutional right somewhere that you do care about. And if five justices were willing to engage in the kind of reasoning that the dissenting justices did in Heller when it came to your right that you care about, that right would be gone. Absolutely. So Heller, I think, is, serves uh, to underscore the importance of respecting rights in this country, even the ones that we don't personally care about. And I think that respecting rights is important to the body politic, and Heller was a wonderful, wonderful dose. Thank you. Clark Neely is a senior attorney at the Institute for Justice. He served as co-counsel to Dick Heller in the case that overturned the D.C. gun ban, and he wrote the article parsing that decision for the new edition of the Cato Supreme Court Review. You can order your copy at catostore.org.